Today we have Dr. Gina Page, the co-founder of African Ancestry. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. You know, you're doing amazing things, of course, with African Ancestry. Can you give our audience uh, a little background on, you know, where you come from and how did you get to the idea of scaling this platform uh, that's been so beneficial to our community? Well, the idea for our company was started by my co-founder, Dr. Rick Kittles, and it, it came out of his personal desire to know where he was from. And as a geneticist, part of his research, he dedicated to compiling a database of African lineages to answer the question for himself. In terms of scaling the idea into a business, uh, he was part of the New York African Burial Ground project as a member of the team from Howard University that was uh, went up to lo lower Manhattan to identify the ancestry of the bones. And when the community found out that it was possible, they inundated him with requests to get that same type of information for themselves. So it was a classic case of supply and demand. The community created the demand and so we in response created the company to uh, provide the answers. Growing up how conscious were you let's say take it back like a teenager you know in your household. How do you measure consciousness? I was very conscious. I, I have always been conscious. Um, I grew up in Washington DC in the 70s so you couldn't help but I think but be conscious of being a black person, being a black girl, a black woman. And so um, consciousness is part of part of my DNA. It, I didn't ever become conscious. I just always have been. For this business kind of platform, though, this is something that fits into what you are already passionate about in terms of, uh, you know, how you felt about yourself and how do we solve kind of bigger problems uh, uh, in our community? Well, I definitely saw this business as an opportunity to use my skill set that I developed through a corporate marketing career to uh, market a product that has never existed before to a group of people I'm passionate about. So that was my approach to African ancestry. And over the past 15 years, of course, my, um, my proficiency in Africa and many things African has increased significantly. And uh, as I've seen the interest by our community grow, uh, so too has my personal passion for providing this information for the people who want it. Uh, it's been reported that Nigerian Americans are the most educated ethnic group uh, in the United States out of all uh, groups. When you look at the discrepancies on standardized test scores, economic outcomes, and, and, and other kind of metrics, how much of this could be explained by, look, you're comparing different groups, but one group does not have adequate cultural IQ. Uh, one group does not know what country they originate. They don't have any kind of legacy that goes past slavery in terms of, in terms of a lot of how a lot of us think and what we learn in that when you compare groups, the black man and woman here in America does not know, does not have anything to reference. And you're competing against Chinese American, Nigerian Americans, 
uh, uh, Indian, East Indian Americans. And these people can, they have kind of a, a cultural IQ. But we come to the table with slavery, uh, a lot of us, and in, in being raised uh, in, in kind of ghetto culture. But we lack cultural IQ when we, com- we compare ourselves to other groups. And could that explain a lot of the discrepancy and outcomes here in the United States? I don't think so. I don't okay. think it explains, in my opinion, it, it doesn't, doesn't explain, explain a lot. A lot. I, think, I think we do have a cultural IQ. It just doesn't include our ancestry. We definitely have a cultural IQ as African Americans. Um, and I think that we, I think that there's so many other factors that affect our ability to perform on standardized testing besides. But I, I agree with you in one sense that we don't know who we are. And not knowing who you are impacts so many aspects of your life. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't pinpoint it to standardized yeah, test performance. In, in my mind, um, we definitely have a cultural IQ. However, it's lower because we cannot refer back uh, before slavery with a cohesive cultural uh, a narrative. And, and I believe this is where uh, a lot of folks get their power, uh, particularly when you're faced uh, with the structural inequities in the United States that other groups, they come here with this cultural IQ and power uh, and they're able to, to, to outperform. And I think uh, uh, the scientists and the researchers uh, they have not invested enough time in looking at this in that, hey, you know, we don't know who we are. I mean, we need to be able to reconnect back to Africa, I believe, if our people are ever going to uh, rise up to do it at scale where you don't just have your colon pals and a few entertainers and a few Jay-Zs or whatever, to, to for our people to rise at scale we have to reconnect with Africa and we have, we have to elevate our cultural IQ. We can't, it's not just a, a white folks in America changing thing. Well, I, I agree. I think maybe my sticking point with what you're saying is simply the definition of cultural IQ. But when you put it that way, I agree with you. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've seen reports where certain DNA testing platforms, uh, they came out with, with, with kind of new information that said that what they've been doing is wrong. Uh, and they have to adjust some things. And so the customer is like, hey, I thought I was from Nigeria. And now the new update is pushing me to Cameroon. I don't know, you know, what's the story? Uh, can you explain some of the, the accuracy issues in the, in the market for DNA testing? So the t- type of test that you're talking about is different from the type of test that we offer. Um, the type of test that you're talking about is called an admixture test. And if you think about your family tree as a, as a series of branches, right, you have all these different branches of your family tree. Well, that's a genetic family tree. So there are all these people throughout your family history that make up who you are. And those tests look at DNA that's been that is a combination of all of those people and then segments out ancestry in terms of percentages. So they'll say overall you're 75% African, 25% European. Then within that Africanness, that 75% African, they have a database that ranges anywhere from 600 to 1400 African lineages, African DNA samples that they compare 
yours too to say some percentage of your 75% is from this region in Africa, some percentage is from that region and that region and that region and so on. That information out the box is limited because they're only comparing you to fewer than 1,500 African samples for the entire continent of Africa. So for you to walk around believing um, that you are, I mean, first of all, everybody, pretty much black folks get all the regions. They get all the, re the Af West African regions. So they didn't just get Nigeria. They got Nigeria for some percentage. They've gotten Cameroon slash Congo for another percentage. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they all they really were telling you from the jump was that you're West African. And so if you put all of your identity in these loose buckets, you're bound to be disappointed because it's not specific enough to tell you something about yourself. Now, the database size cha has changed. So Ancestry.com, for example, went from having 464 African samples to 1,395 samples. So if you increase the size of your database, then of course, the matching is going to change because you have more samples to um, compare to. Yeah. But it's still a pitifully low number of samples. I mean, 1,395 people for the whole continent isn't informative. So science is not static. This is, okay, I, I didn't answer your question directly. Science is not static. Okay. Science is constantly evolving. So if if the company you use increases or decreases the size of their database, then your analysis will change. Is there a but you're still West African? <laughs> yeah. Is there a confidence level where if 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 a test comes back with your platform or another platform, uh, what's the range of confidence levels uh, among the leading players where the test comes back and says, "Hey, eighty percent uh, Nigeria, Yoruba." Or something like that. They don't say 80% Nigeria, Yoruba. They, they, they can't get that specific. No, they're giving per percentages, but they're not getting that specific. They're saying 80% Nigeria region. Yeah. What does that mean? They don't get specific to Yoruba or Igbo or Fulani or Hausa. Anyway, I don't know what the other companies um confidence levels are. I can tell you what ours are. Yeah. So uh, our confidence level is 95%. We have a plus or minus 5% margin of error, five-point margin of error. And we don't call a match unless we see a 90, at least a 98.6% similarity. If, you, if your sample is not at least 98.6% the same as some samples in our database, then we won't call a match. And 85% of our matches are identical. Okay, got it. Uh, and so when you And we do get to the ethnic group level. So we would say Mandinka from Senegal or Mende from Sierra Leone. Okay, uh, that's really good to hear that your confidence level is 98%. Uh, uh, and in the marketing materials, you mentioned that you use black geneticists, scientists. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that philosophy uh, in terms of your team, in terms of, hey, you know, for this particular platform, uh, we have to stick with black folks? Well, Black folks created our company. I'm black, Dr. Kittles is black, and we created this company to tell black people where we're from. So it only stands to reason that we would, you know, black businesses employ black people. Um, and we 
have we're the only company that has african-american geneticists on the team there are plenty of uh, african-american geneticists that could participate in this type of analysis across the industry but for some reason we're the only ones that have Hired. chosen that yeah. and for us it's important because we're we're about self-determination and we don't we don't have to look outside of our community for the resources that we need to thrive we have them all here within our own community okay and what do you say to the black business owner hey to be competitive with with some of the, the, the higher resource businesses that we're competing with, including in, in, in terms of uh, doing business with our own people, that you know a lot of these competitors have bigger pockets. We could disadvantage ourselves uh, if we limit our recruiting to only the community where, hey, you know, we need the opportunity to, to hire the best outright. What would you say to, to that point of view? Well, I would say that we have hired the best. So going outside of the community doesn't mean that you're hiring the best. And I think in order to be properly resourced, it doesn't mean you have to have a certain type of person working for you. Being properly resourced means that you have found capital uh, in order from a competition standpoint, you found capital that you can use to grow your business. And, And that can come from any color person. Uh, so I don't, I don't think your human resources necessarily, I don't think your human resources are limited because you've chosen to employ black people. I would argue that your Exclusively, human, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes. that all the other companies hire exclusively pretty much the people that look like them. So there's nothing, uh, there's no limitations to having a black staff. Zero, zilch, none. Uh, so I remember having a lunch, having lunch uh, with a, um, a magazine, a black magazine executive, and he criticized Oprah. Uh, he didn't like uh, this was before Oprah became a billionaire, but he didn't like <laughs> the fact that Oprah, uh, her CFO and some of the executive team uh, with Oprah's company, that they were white. Uh, and he thought that Oprah needed to hire more black folks. So he was very critical of, of Oprah. Of course, since then, Oprah has really, you know, increased her wealth uh, while, I believe, doing good. But would you critique Oprah for having, for example, 70, 80 percent white folks working for her? No, I would not critique Oprah. What Oprah has done works for Oprah. Yeah. And each business person has to do what works for them. That has not been my approach as a business person. You have to do what works for you and for your business. In terms of the impact of African-American kids learning about their lineage to Western Africa, um, has there been any kind of case studies or is there any data that quantifies um, the impact where when a black child is able to connect to Africa early, from a, a lineage standpoint, possibly using your test, you know, does this have any impact on anything? I, we haven't conducted any research, uh, and I don't, I'm not aware of any research that has been conducted, but anecdotally, I can tell you that um, it certainly has an impact, particularly 
for our kids that are educated in multicultural environments. You know, our kids are, you alluded to this earlier, our kids are educated in environments where they don't learn anything positive about Africa. They don't learn their own personal connections to Africa, yet they participate in ancestry days and international days with their classmates and friends who know exactly where they're from. And so we have seen anecdotally that when our kids know where they're from, they feel a sense of pride and belonging that they didn't have um, prior to getting that information. They do things like start to do their own projects, uh, do their class pride or school projects on the countries that they share ancestry with or the people. Um, they can celebrate those ancestries along with their friends celebrating theirs. Uh, and, and the way that they, they view themselves is, is transformed in a positive way. But it's all anecdotal. I remember reading something about Colin Powell, and he was saying that African-Americans need to get off this Africa stuff. Forget about Africa. You know, we're Americans now. In so many words, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on, on that, uh, that uh, it's time to move forward? Uh, and, uh, you know, Africa's not really a part of moving forward. China doesn't think so. Europe doesn't think so. Yeah. The, the whole world is in Africa for its resources. So uh, I don't think that that's true, that Af the way forward is not related to Africa. Uh, I think that you can't know, I believe that you can't know who you are unless you know where you're from. And so regardless of what you do with the information, I think it's important from a psychological standpoint to at least have the information. Uh, and we have seen uh, countless people throughout the longevity of African ancestry who do amazing things as a result of knowing where they're from in Africa. They travel, they invest, they lobby Congress on behalf of issues that affect their country of ancestry. They learn languages. They develop relationships with those people living here in their, you know, in the cities and towns in the United States. They um, share the information with family re reunions. They, they do so many different things. They start philanthropic organizations. They donate. They start businesses. So I, I would disagree uh, strongly with that statement. I don't think it's a, a coincidence that the folks that our people worship and recognize in terms of Marcus Garvey, uh, Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Ali, that the champions uh, that rise within our community, uh, they seem to have this high cultural IQ in terms of hey, I got to go deeper in my history. And then this, this boost, this confidence boost uh, that I personally relate to where in LA, once I tapped into a knowledge of self and I started looking at African history uh, and an alternative to what's being taught and what other kids believe, the confidence boost that I received at 17 was just put me on like a confidence level. Like, man, I can go out there in the world and, and, and do whatever. And I did not have this without a knowledge of self. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you know what your answer, even, even if, even if you wanted to accept that your history started with the enslavement of pe African people in the United States, it, let's just say hypothetically, you were fine with that. 
that means you descend from a group of people that is resilient, that is industrious, that created a nation. You know, it, so many things can be said just if you want to start there. So it's not it's it's how you look at things. You know, you can you can say I'm the descendant of slaves, but then which you really aren't, but you can say that. But then what does that really mean? And there's a lot of positive um, positiveness that comes out of that. But then when you go across the Atlantic and you go back to where those enslaved people were taken from and you learn about those cultures, you can't help but have the the um, reaction that you had when you were 17 because you learn that, you come from people who created every damn thing there is, you know what I mean? You create, you come from, you come from the standard and everything else is a derivative of the standard. Uh, Have you been to the the point of no return uh, in Ghana? Yes. Have you been to some of the the dungeons and were you able to smell the stench uh, that still remains in some of the dungeons in terms of the brutal conditions that uh, our people kind of lived through, did you, were you able those, to smell it? Those are I, I I don't that whole experience. I've been through those particular dungeons twice, and that whole experience is a sensory overload for for every sense. Yeah, you know what you see, what you hear, what you can touch, what you can smell. Um, it's 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 very overwhelming it's quite an experience did you know uh before you went on your trip that this the 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 smell could go on for hundreds of years meaning you know that it's so bad did you you well I didn't I I don't think I focused on the smell and that wasn't my first I when I was in college I visited I lived in Dakar Senegal and so I had been to Gore Island which is a similar uh, slave dungeon and port in Senegal. So the Ghana experience wasn't my first experience, but it was equally as impactful, I think, as when I was 18. I went to Morehouse in Atlanta, and uh, I was around a lot of uh, conscious folks where we would debate issues in the community, African history, you know, and I had a term, a popular term at that time was Afrocentric. So this goes back to around 1998 to 2000. Uh, and so a lot of students that at least uh, I knew, they would bang Africa, they would bang Afrocentric in terms of this is what I'm representing. But going into their 30s after college, they they wouldn't go to anywhere in Africa. They wouldn't go to Western Africa, but they would bang Afrocentricity really hard in the United States. But there wasn't a drive to spend $500 or $1,000 on a plane ticket uh, to maybe go to Ghana. Uh, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, could there be a, can you really be about that life in terms of really, knowing about your people, championing your people without physically kind of even having the curiosity and, and using some of your resources to go back home? I think you can because, I mean, the reality is everybody can't afford to go back. No, these people driving Mercedes, they, they can afford to go back. Let's just Okay, that. so we're yeah. talking about this Yeah, these people, these people have people. good jobs and like, hey, I'm Afrocentric to death. 
but I don't want to oh, go. Oh, yeah, I see yeah, what you're yeah. saying. They they claim Afrocentricity, yeah, but, but then they don't they, have the curiosity to go back. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, can you be about that life and not go? I think you can be about that life and not go. It just doesn't doesn't it, it doesn't sound good. I would but, like to see. I would like to see. Obviously, people travel to yeah. Africa and yeah. any part of Africa, to be quite honest. And I, um, but I think West Africa should be your first trip, or or Egypt. Um, Even considering yeah. some of the security concerns with Egypt, that's yeah. been on my bucket list for uh, a while. Uh, but there's been some, uh, you know, security risks kind of elevation well i i traveled to egypt last year 2017 with anthony browder and okay, I'm his, familiar. actually that's one of the books i read in high school yeah uh, uh, nile valley contribution to civilization one of my favorites exactly yeah. and he does a study tour to egypt every year for okay. two weeks and has never once in the history of like 30 some study tours had a security problem yeah. um so i you know i think that when you hear about those types of warnings there's often something deeper than that that yeah. has nothing to do with your physical safety when you're traveling so i yeah, you know, at, at the time, it wasn't always like this, but I believe uh, maybe about five or so years ago, Western hotels were being targeted terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's talk about the, the business. Uh, what's your approach to uh, marketing and scaling uh, the business in terms of getting more consumers to, to come onto the platform? So our approach is pretty grassroots. Uh, we do a lot of traveling and speaking presentations in the community with different organizations in the community. We uh, we participate in expos and large events like that to help raise awareness. We do a fair amount of advertising through digital channels, so Facebook and Google. Uh, and, but word of mouth has been our strongest marketing vehicle. Um, People, once they have their own African ancestry experience, they then become a broadcast tower for their friends, families, and others uh, by sharing their experience. And, you know, we're, we're a people that often relies on somebody else having done it first to, to motivate us to do it. And so that word of mouth strategy has worked very well for us over uh, the past 15 years. But we are self-funded. Dr. Kittles and I own the company. We've never taken any outside investment. And so... Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So we rely on our sales to fund our marketing. And so when you don't see us, and you haven't seen us on television uh, running ad after ad, those ads, you know, that adds up. <laughs> and yeah. it costs millions of dollars to advertise at the level that our competitors do. Uh, we just simply aren't in a position to do that. Uh, but we aren't trying to reach the masses either. We have a very, we serve a niche consumer with a niche product. And so we have a different type of advertising strategy. Do you have unique coupon codes where, for example, you can partner with the uh, media platform and then they'll get like a special coupon code uh, where they could track you know, how many cells uh, comes across uh, the website. Um, yes. You do that? Yes. And okay. we, we created one for your listeners. Okay. Okay. Great. You know, what's your thinking on growing the platform from here? You know, what's kind of the, the next big step in scaling the platform? 
in terms of scaling uh, the number of customers that we can reach, I think it's more advertising. It's more targeted types of events where we can reach large numbers of people. We have some campaigns in development for 2019 that will better leverage the power of social media. Um, And then in terms of what we can offer the community, the people who take our tests, the health is, is the horizon. You know, uh, we use DNA to tell you to help you with your psychological well-being through knowledge of self, through ancestry. But there's so many other aspects of our well-being, physical well-being that are impacted by our DNA. And we have the opportunity to be able to give you more of that information as well in the future. Do you see any geographical disparities where, you know, these particular states, we get more customers? Is there like a you know, the top performing, uh, a couple of states that really kind of make up a lot of your sales. Yeah, of course. It's, it's consistent with, you know, that's another opportunity too beyond the United States. When you talked about how we could scale, yeah. um, is developing, uh, partnerships with people in other countries. Cause black people were taken from Africa to all over the world, uh, not just here, but anyway, in terms of, uh, the state, states that we see the most participation from is consistent with us being a black owned company that sells a black a, com- a target black to black American people. So, yeah. you know, Chicago, Atlanta, DC, Philly, um, Houston and Dallas, Oakland, LA. Uh, There's no the- city that you can point to where, Hey, we have the black numbers, but you guys just so lost. We don't see you guys buying buying the kit. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, there, there's no. I don't uh, see any yeah. of those. One of the things I thought about was, should the government be paying for these tests and sending you checks uh, where, look, you know, you guys robbed this from us. Uh, why do we have to go out and pay hundreds of dollars uh, for something that should have been a given for us uh, that we don't know. And that mystery uh, is, 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 is your responsibility. The government should be funding a test for every African-American to reconnect. Yeah, that's a school of thought for sure. Uh, have you pursued that? No, we haven't pursued asking the yeah. government to, to pay for the test for think- people. I think, you know, that's a fine line, right? So I agree that I'm I'm a proponent of reparations, okay, and and I could see where ancestry testing is an element of reparations, but the other side of that is today, particularly, our community is at a all time high in terms of our level of skepticism about how our genetic material is being handled. So. Me, as a business person that deals with genetics, I don't want an association with the government that's going to then negatively impact my credibility with the customer, right? Because the same people who have said the government should pay for this, some of them are the people who say, I don't want the government to have, I'm not going to take your test because I don't want the government to have access to my DNA. That's a very good point. Like, 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 hey, is this some type of setup? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll just stay away from the government (laughs) if they decide that they want to do the right thing and give everybody money so that they can buy a test or whatever. I don't know, but we're not. It's like, why is the government partnering with you all of a sudden? 
Yeah, it's yeah. a no-win situation. You mentioned personally uh, that you support reparations. How would that work? Uh, what would that look like? Or uh, have you given that? Any I thought? wasn't prepared for this okay, conversation yeah. in this yeah. <laughs> podcast. Yeah, but you know, it's called there, go hard or go home. You yeah. know, there's some there. There are experts out there. There are people like um, Dr. Raymond Wimbush at Morgan State who has written the book. Um, Belinda's petition um, there. In fact, uh, I was just at an event last week and Representative Sheila Jackson Lee talked about uh, the idea of reparations, the bill that was she introduced. She helped introduce many, many years ago um, that has not been adopted uh, around reparations. So I, I would be doing those experts a disservice if I had uh, a plan, came half cocked with a plan. But I mean, the United States has a history of giving reparations. Yeah. So uh, but we need it, ours. It, at a high level, though, do you think it would be like uh, mainly a cash thing or, you know, what what, what would it look like in terms I, of what know, forms? It could look like it could look like education education it could look like land ownership it could look like i mean there's so many ways that it yeah. could look I, I i haven't given it that much thought to have a plan in mind a nation of islam minister in the 90s uh, he would say hey we got to be careful with reparations because some of y'all out there uh you know the government starts cutting checks if we haven't really reconnected with ourselves and we don't have a knowledge of self a lot of that money in reparations is going to go to waste uh, because a lot of you guys are going to go buy jewelry and, and, and do a lot of frivolous things with the reparations money. Uh, would you discount that point of view that uh, psychologically, the cultural awareness in the community uh, that we need to do something there before you would get value from the government or, hey, the people's ready now, let the checks start printing. I know I think we I think we do need to have a strategy and a plan and I think reparations aside we need to we need to be better fiscal we have to have better fiscal responsibility we have to have better educational responsibility we need to have better health and wellness responsibility I think the onus is on us to be better in all of those areas um regardless of reparations. And I think that we have a long way to go collectively. Uh, there, there isn't a, enough black economic empowerment right now. We need more black, black economic empowerment. So I, I definitely agree with that. The, the flip side of that is when you give somebody something, you can't dictate, you shouldn't dictate what they do with it. You know, I mean, if, if it's a truly a gift, then you have to let people do with the gift with what they want. And so I, I don't feel comfortable saying telling that this has to use towards, you know, putting restrictions on it. Or uh, saying that yeah. black people shouldn't get the money because they're not going to know how to spend it. That's what I have an issue with. Yeah. If you're go if everyone is deserved money, then they should get their money. And it's not up to us to decide how they spend it. Yeah, I do think that we need to take our best scholars, economists, and thought leaders in the community and, and think about if we were to push for reparations and get reparations, what's the best way to maximize the impact? That it has to be strategic reparations. I do think that uh, 
we would lose a lot of value if everybody just got checks or, uh, uh, you know, just cash coming in. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, the, the, and I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. I'm just saying if that was what we got, we can't say these people shouldn't get it because they yeah. don't know how to spend it. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, for sure. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I agree. Sure. On that front, in, in terms of we need to raise the, the awareness uh, and the economic empowerment in the community, have you seen any impact on your business with MAGA? Because let me explain. Obama gets elected twice. And from my perspective, you had a lot of Negroes saying we're post-racial. America is moving beyond race. Look what America did in terms of putting Michelle and Brock in the White House. We are making a lot of progress. And this is now a post-racial America. So a lot of our people started buying into that this company's making this this country's making so much progress and it's really about class actually negroes started saying that at morehouse i remember where they're saying that's less about racism more about class uh but trump comes in you know uh he's banging maga and he slaps those post-racial people in the face and be like nah you guys got it wrong uh have you seen an impact of uh kind of trumpism where hey, people are getting more political now. People have recognized that, uh, uh, hey, this country is not making a lot of gains in a lot of areas in terms of that racist, white supremacist psychology that's institutionalized uh, across various industries, uh, that this country is not going uh, as far as some of the people think. Uh, and so I would think, because I see people now, now they want to get political. Trump is there. They start recognizing things that have been there, but now... You know, I'm waking up because of Trump. Have you seen any waking up in your business in terms of, hey, I need to order a kit? That's that's really hard to measure. Okay. You know, I if I look at if I look at our volume in 2017, it was flat to 2016. So his first year in office, we didn't see you, an you increase in our business. Yeah. Um, where we did see a tremendous impact was with the film Black Panther. And I, th I think you can argue that the, That's ti good to hear. the yeah. timing of the film Black Panther underscored its impact. So I don't think you can completely negate but the Trump did, effect, yeah. but, I, but we didn't see it in year one in, your, in any demonstrable way. In your personal life, have you seen more consciousness since Trump got into office, where now folks want to speak up a little louder about issues that have always been present because Trump has kind of brought things uh, to the surface. Well, you know, my personal, my personal life, is people speak up all the time. So, yeah. but yes, I do. I do think that I've that people seen are cranking it up a, a little general bit uptick in awareness and consciousness since the Trump administration, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you just see, I mean, if you just look at the Women's March and some of these national movements that we've seen and the, the participation that we have in those movements, I think that's obvious, uh, an obvious answer to your question. And I think, yeah, I mean, people can only take so much. Would you agree? Hey, if Hillary Clinton won, you'll get some of the kind of Obama regime stuff. Uh, you make some progress in some areas. 
But the people on the bottom, the people who have to face uh, institutionalized racism every single day, that the needle wasn't going to move if you just got another Democrat, an Obama-like president. And that, however, because Trump gets into office uh, and he goes hard and he bangs real hard for his side, he bangs real hard for white supremacy, now you start opening up the opportunity to possibly really move the needle the other way uh, where, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been hidden comes to the surface in terms of how racist and white supremacist uh, this country really is, that some people needed to see that half of the country will back a white supremacist agenda. Uh, and that now that this stuff is coming to the surface, it's not hidden. It, it doesn't stay in Baltimore. It doesn't stay in Chicago. It doesn't stay in Compton in terms of our point of view on this system in America, that now you bring this sickness into the, uh, the mainstream in terms of uh, how racist America is. Uh, now you open up faster change, possibly more radical change that over the long term, MAGA and Trump, that could be a good thing for the country uh, in terms of pushing this stuff to the surface. Do you buy into that? I mean, I think it's going to get worse. I think okay. it has to get worse before it gets better. I I just, yeah, all of, what you've said is true and, and things are now more visible, but the visibility isn't going to make it change. I don't think. And I, I don't know that there's a whole lot that the oppressed people can do to eradicate a white supremacist agenda. I'm just not you sure. You don't think it's going to be much difference either way. Or, or it's most likely, hey, Trump coming to power is going to make it worse long term. I think things have to get worse before we will really rise up and, and um, try and make a change. And when you say rise up, what would that look like? What would be the best case scenario where, for example, uh, Marcus Garvey said, look, these folks are not changing. There's no, there's no freedom and justice and equality in the United States. I'm just going to keep it real 100 with you. We need to go back home. And the people, a lot of people rejected that. Elijah Muhammad uh, came and Malcolm came for a period and said, look, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Don't be expecting a lot of stuff to change in America. Uh, this is this country is so sick. Uh, there's no future for us here uh, that these folks we're not betting. We're not going to speculate. We're not going to gamble that these people are going to turn into decent human beings. And a lot of the masses rejected that messaging. And so now you have folks. Hey, why are we getting shot? Hey, why are we getting discriminated against? Why are we you know, doing all this stuff? What's the best strategic outcome? that could happen for black folks in America? Well, I, everybody's not going to leave. Yeah. So we have to come up with a way of living where we are that works for us. And yeah. I think self-determination is at the foundation of that. Would that include possibly opening up dual citizenship uh, in Western Africa? Well, I think, I think self-determination has, has a firm footing here so it goes back to educating our children our, our community um 
having our own businesses, supporting our own businesses, creating what we need for ourselves, doing it ourselves. Um, and then I think there's another leg, which is why AfricanAncestry.com exists. We exist to transform the way we view ourselves as black people and the way we view Africa, because that is our home. We are, we are among the best and brightest of Africa. We can't separate ourselves from that. And they want us there too. African countries are asking us to come home. And so I think we have that responsibility too. I, you, you can go home and not have citizenship. I don't think we need to get hung up on whether or not a country is offering citizenship. But we can have, we can play a role here in our communities and we can play a role there in our communities. And when we do that, I think we'll build enough wealth so that we can sustain this, this way of living that works for us. What do you have to say when I was growing up and even in college, folks would say, <laughs> you sound like an old man <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who has not seen him. He is not an old man. He keeps going. When I was growing up in the 1990s, <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I just so, had to so, say that. so growing up uh, and, uh, you know, college, people would tell me and say, look, Africans don't like us. Right. And so when I went to Ghana and I traveled to Nigeria and I traveled to Mozambique and uh, South Africa, I didn't see anything that confirmed that what Negroes were telling me here in the United States is that. Uh, hey, when you go to Africa, they're not going to like us. They don't like us. Uh, but a lot of these people have never invested $500,000 for a ticket to go back home. And when I went into the communities and the villages and the cities, as what you're saying, those folks showed me a massive amount of love, more love than I would probably get into going back to Watts or, or South Side of Chicago or Baltimore, uh, that there was a lot of love uh, seeing their, their brother come home. That was my personal experience. What do you got to say about that notion that they don't like us? I have to say about that, that colonization is real and slavery worked. And the whole purpose was to disconnect us from our base, right? Disconnect us from our roots. So just as we've been socialized and colonialized or colonized, sorry, colonized to believe these negative things about ourselves, we've been taught to believe negative things about Africa and Africans and how they view us. On that side of the Atlantic, they too have been colonized and they've been colonized to believe negative things about us. That's a good point. And so, yeah. you know, for someone to say that Africans don't like us, they're just a victim of that, of the system the system controlling what and how they think. And I, it's hogwash. That's what I think. It's hogwash. I, you know, there's always going to be people anywhere who don't like you, but to, <clears throat> that has nothing to do when you're talking about an entire group, country, continent full of people. I, I have never had that experience. In terms of your personal travel, you can't confirm. And I've never uh, had it in my business travel either. Yeah. I, we interact with African Africans and African communities regularly, and they are just as excited about being connected with us as we are 
about being connected with them. And, and it takes some learning and it takes some, it takes some um, getting to know each other and it takes some dispelling of negative stereotypes, but that's what happens when you meet new folks. It's, I think that's all hogwash. And it's, it's, it's just there to perpetuate a division that doesn't need to exist. Special thanks to Dr. Gina Page. Uh, you want to be sure to check out AfricanAncestry.com. Uh, you want to uh, share a little bit about what you're offering right now to uh, customers. Yes. So we created, you asked earlier about a coupon code, and uh, we created a code, a promotional code, Moguldom. So if you go to AfricanAncestry.com and order a test kit, you'll get $25 off of your test kit with the code Moguldom. Thank you very much. Let's go.